0: Welcome to the Nathan Crane Podcast. Nathan is a certified holistic cancer coach, 20-time award-winning documentary filmmaker, competitive CrossFit athlete, and best-selling author of Becoming Cancer-Free. With nearly two decades in independent natural health research and education, Nathan shares his top solutions for preventing and overcoming disease while optimizing health and improving human performance. Each week, Nathan brings on highly renowned experts to share natural and holistic health science, strategies, and breakthroughs for living your healthiest, happiest, and most fulfilling life. And now, here's Nathan Crane. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the podcast. I am excited to have my friend here, Dr. Monisha Bonote, who is a quintuple board-certified physician. quite an extraordinary human being and uh, someone I've gotten to know over the last couple of years who knows a lot about health and healing from an integrative and functional standpoint. Um, We're going to get into into a lot of that in this discussion. She has a specialty in cancer, but also helps people dealing with all kinds of chronic health issues from digestive issues to autoimmune and you name it. Um, She's got a great YouTube channel and, and Instagram that's Got some good content pushing out there. You can go check out. And I actually found out about you, Monisha, from, uh, we're we're local residents. We're local neighbors here in Jacksonville. I moved here a couple years ago and then saw your book. You were doing a book signing at one of the only, like all organic restaurants here in Jacksonville uh, that we found. And I was like, you had a flyer there and your book. I bought your book. I was like, this person sounds amazing. I need to get to know her. So here we are. How you doing?
1: Yeah, thank you, Nathan. Yeah, it's it's uh, kind of uh, interesting how people come together, right? We're living in the same town, and you just came across uh, something I was doing locally in a restaurant, really, to uh, share the uh, message. And um, we are both very aligned in our message. So I think that was just perfect timing, timing divine timing.
0: <laughs> so Quintuple Board Certified, that is five board certifications. Um what did you do? Just study medicine for like 18 hours a day for like 10 years nonstop or what? How did you talk about that? Why these, which five, why these five and how much time of your life did that take <laughs> to get these certifications? Cause you still yeah. are very, cause you still are very young, which is amazing.
1: Well, I'm, I'm luckily knock on wood aging pretty well due to all the knowledge that I have. So <laughs> Um, aren't you so, in your thirties? Um, I
0: thought you were like 35 or something.
1: <laughs> we, we don't talk numbers, right? <laughs> we don't women, talk but. Numbers. <laughs> but, um, so my, my formal, um, trainings, um, with the board certifications are in anatomic pathology, clinical pathology, cytopathology, uh, integrative medicine and culinary medicine. But my, my training is quite, um, long and vast and spreads over a couple of decades in the sense that I started um, in internal medicine is, um, you know, this was the type of doctor I was quite familiar with a couple of decades ago that this is how I'm going to help and heal people. And um, very quickly within the first year actually of residency um, in New York, I realized that nobody was getting better and I'm like, I'm working so hard. I'm working these long hours. I'm giving them everything they need to know. My notes, like I don't even write like doctor notes, like scribble, like mine are literally a typewriter. This is back before we had EMRs and we actually had handwritten notes, like the most beautiful notes that you would ever see at patient HMPs. And I would see those same patients again and again and again in a clinic. And I'm like, wait a minute. You have this illness, you're I gave you this medicine, mind you, and you're not getting better. So I'm like, something isn't making sense here. And I think it left both myself and my patients deeply unsatisfied with their healthcare experience. And so I decided to then go into, well, I had two options. I said, I can't do this for the rest of my life. What what
0: conditions were you before two options? What conditions were you seeing? that were not getting better, that opened your eyes? Were these chronic conditions, chronic health conditions, like we think of like diabetes and cancer and heart disease and these kinds of things that medication is just to basically manage symptoms? Was that more of what it was or what were you seeing?
1: Absolutely, so high blood pressure, high cholesterol, diabetes, um, some cancers, um, but in in, in internal medicine, you're kind of dealing with the chronic diseases, kidney diseases, this kind of stuff, right? and yes, they weren't getting better and um, everything else kind of goes out to specialists at that time. And so I decided that I had a very, very strong foundation and background in two two areas. One was radiology, which I had almost nine months of radiology and really interventional radiology and doing procedures. And pathology, and that came from a med- medical school training in anatomy and pathology. I had a very strong foundation in that. I said, okay, I'm going to pick one of these two. And I picked pathology only because I didn't want to sit in a dark room all day. Um, and I'm like, that's not going to be well good for my mental well-being. So I picked pathology. And um, I think they're both two very comparable specialties in the, in the fact that you're really looking at the human body on this multi-dimensional level. and when I delved into pathology there's so many aspects of pathology and and, and we really are looking at how do diseases develop how, how are all of these diseases developing not just symptom management. So I thought all right if I go into pathology, I might be able to help people get the correct answers they need in order to find the treatment they need. Mm. So um, I did a pathology residency. And then I did a, um, at, um, uh, it's, it's called NYU Winthrop now. And that that's four,
0: um, that's a four-year residency or how long was it?
1: That is, it's a, yeah. So I did a year of internal medicine four of pathology. If we're going to, if we're going to do the math of how many years (laughs) I'm training, trust me that I I, could, it's a lot. Um, and then I did a year of cytopathology in Cornell in the city in the Upper East Side.
0: Hey, I just want to take a quick second and thank you for listening to this episode. I hope you're enjoying it so far. As a special thank you for tuning in this episode, I want to give you my number one Amazon best-selling book, absolutely free. You can go download it right now at becomingcancerfree.com. If you want to learn evidence-based strategies for helping your body become a cancer fighting machine for not only cancer reversal, but cancer prevention, go grab a copy of the book, Again, I'm just giving it to you for free. You can go download it at becomingcancerfree.com. All right, let's get back to the show.
1: Um, I then um, began uh, private practice. And in between there somehow, once again, after sitting and diagnosing... Disease after disease. Now, whether that's a benign disease like a reflux or um, colitis or um, a malignancy like a breast cancer or colon cancer, and I'm looking at these patients' charts and I'm going, huh, there's missing pieces in here. And I'm sitting in tumor boards week after week. And, and, you know, in in the early years, we would just have, depending on the size of your hospital, you would have, you know, one tumor board where they present multiple different types of tumors. Now, so many facilities, or at least the the latest ones I've worked in, are so subspecialized where we have just a breast tumor board, just a colorectal tumor board, just a head and neck, uh, because those meetings are meant to create a multidisciplinary approach where you're bringing together a um, oncologist, a surgeon, maybe a radiation um, oncologist, the pathologist, um, and the whole healthcare team in order to help this person. But what I found was that we'd go in and have these meetings and it would be about all right, here's the size of the tumor. This is where it's located. This is what we're going to cut out. This is how we're going to radiate it. And it's like, wait a minute, where's the person in all of this? Mm. Right. And I'm like, okay, still doing that for years and years and years. And I'm like, but if they've had the cancer, they've had the surgery, they've had the radiation, they've had the chemo. Why am I seeing these patients names back on my desk and, and not just their names but their actual glass slides of their tissue because now they have another colon polyp or now they have another breast lesion in the opposite breast. And I'm like, what's going on here? So for me, it was like, I'm one of those people who I need answers, right? So I'm like, I, I, there's gotta be more to this story. And so that's when I spent um, additional training. So I did a two and a half year fellowship at the Integrative Center for, um, uh, Andrew Wheel Center for Integrative Medicine.
0: That's, an, that's and, in area Arizo- uh, That's in Arizona. Yeah, yeah.
1: that's in Arizona. Mm-hmm. And then I also did a uh, culinary medicine training to kind of bring all of this to together. Right. So um, taking all these different things that I know, um, I basically combined this into the approach that I use now to take care of my patients. So if you actually add up the years of undergrad, medical school, residency. Multiple fellowships, some simultaneously, but if you actually add them up, it's about 19 years. So it's actually more than your 12 years of high school and then another 19 on top of that. So now I just gave away my age. Uh, plus <laughs> I've worked. <laughs> so if somebody wants to sit down and do that math, they can.
0: 49, <laughs> is that what I, uh, somewhere in there maybe? No,
1: no. <laughs>
0: no. No, I mean, it's it's amazing how much... What's amazing to me, and um, I think a really important takeaway, is your mindset through all of this, which is, look, what what I've been told to do and what I'm doing is not working, I'm not seeing results, so let me try and find another path another way forward another way to get results most people not just doctors not just conventional doctors which we know of today that are trained in pharmacology they're trained in surgery you know radiation drug therapy etc most doctors never ask that question they're so busy right just patient after patient after patient after patient as i'm sure you were when you opened your practice where it's like it's just you know get them in get them out get them in get them out where before you know doctors would spend half hour to an hour with a patient, just talking to them and taking notes, all kinds of things. Now it's like you're in and out in like 10 minutes, right? It's just get them in and out, get them in and out. And so a lot of doctors don't even have the time or don't choose to ask those hard questions. And it's true for so many people in their lives too, where something's not going right. It's not going right in their business, at you know, in their work and their relationship with their health. And they're seeing diseases pop up or they're seeing weight gain or they're seeing, you know, uh, they're losing, uh, the, the mental clarity they used to have, they don't have the energy they used to have, and they don't ask the questions, why? Where is this coming from? Why is it getting, why am what I'm doing not working? Okay, if what I'm doing is not working, then let me figure out what to do to actually achieve what I'm trying to achieve. And the fact that you've asked those questions again and again and again, and it led you down this long path to now where you basically are you know, an integrative functional medicine doctor, somebody who takes the best of, of all worlds, right? The best of natural medicine, of ancient medicine. I know you bring Ayurvedic medicine uh, and dietary and culinary and nutritional science into your patients. You look at the mind and the emotions, the spiritual well-being, the environment. You look at everything. You look at the person and the the internal environment, and the external environment of that person, which is any doctor. Who I've come to know, or call a, a call a friend or a colleague, over the last 17 years in my pursuit. You know, I've I have been on this pursuit of of education and research, uh, independently outside of school. You know, on my own and on you know through learning from others. The same thing has led me to this exact finding. And all the doctors that I know in our circles, right? You know many of them, and our friends and colleagues with them. They've come to a very similar conclusion. It's very interesting where it's like eventually all roads lead to here. (laughs) Um, But a lot of people have to go through a lot of dark times, a lot of challenges, a lot of lost lives, you know, a lot of pain and suffering until they get there. Hey, I just want to pause a second and ask you Are you enjoying this episode so far? Are you getting good value from this content? If so, then I know you're going to absolutely love healing. Life At HealingLife.net, you get exclusive and premier access to hundreds of the top world's doctors, experts, cancer conquerors, and survivors. Exclusive interviews that I have done with all these experts and doctors uh, that are not available for free online. They're only available at HealingLife.net. So not only do you get access to all of those, but you actually get to speak with these doctors and experts and ask them any question you want about health and healing. And this is available exclusively to Healing Life members. You can try it out for free. Go to healinglife.net and you can start your free trial there. And uh, whether you're interested in learning more about detox or cancer, diet and nutrition and nutritional science, about diabetes, about heart disease, autoimmune disease, anti aging, longevity, all of these topics are covered in depth and more. Are continuing to be added at Healing Life. And again, you get to talk to these doctors yourself. So I invite you to set up a free trial at healinglife.net. And I hope to see you over there. Now, let's get back to the show.
1: Absolutely. I, I think the key here is to really understand that and, and just to break some of the confusion for individuals that integrative medicine is not alternative medicine it's it's really not dropping what we know may help okay it's it's looking at the individual person as a whole and taking the best approaches from all the possible health systems and and you, know, you can use whole body health systems like Ayurveda and traditional Chinese medicine, um, much more ancient systems. And you can use some of the things from conventional and then you can use some of the things from lifestyle approaches. And then you can use even the more advanced um, uh, things like nutrigenomics, right? So taking all the information we have available to us and saying, how can we do a little bit better How can we make this human's body function better on a cellular level? Because, you know, I'm always talking about the cells. And um, how can we then give them the tools in order for them to take care of themselves as they age in life and have a better life?
0: Yeah, exactly. And that's the questions I think that need to be asked and answered in all medical schools. Um, But they're not today. And we know why. I mean, we know just follow the money, right? (laughs) You see where the the funding goes towards the medical literature, where it comes from, where the largest percentage of it comes from. And you know why students aren't learning this. I mean, imagine if, you know, you went to medical school in the, and, and part of your training as a conventional medical doctor, whatever path you chose as a medical doctor, included functional medicine as a big part of it, you know, diet and nutrition. And in conventional medical school, when you were um, – when you were studying for you what was you, what training did you receive in in nutrition or lifestyle approaches for health did you receive any at all did you receive much at all because a lot of doctors i know over the years at different schools receive very little um nutritional education or or health you know health related disease prevention natural disease reversal education in school what what was it like for you before you chose yeah. you know other
1: So you've got to remember, I did, I I trained a long time ago, I I trained in um, the 90s and the early 2000s, right? So even before um, people were having conversations around lifestyle. And so the education within the institution was limited, in, in a sense, meaning very minimal. And if you wanted to learn it, you were really learning it outside of that. I'm happy to say and happy to see that we've made some progress towards having um, integrative programs in um, different schools and universities and medical schools now, also having culinary medicine, cooking kitchens in different universities. So we are slowly moving ourselves in the correct or better b- better direction, right? Because it's, it, you, you, you don't throw away the baby with the bathwater, right? You take everything and you build upon it and you say, what can I do better in this system? And, and the system definitely has a long way to go because as you said, a lot of it's actually out of the hands of doctors. So I, I, I would never blame a doctor that they don't have you know more than 10 minutes because I've been a patient myself and I've gone in and I spent more time in the waiting room than I actually spent with the doctor, right? Exactly. And it's extremely frustrating as a patient. Yeah. Um, but unfortunately, it's not the doctor's fault. It's the way the system is set up via insurances and, and what they want you to do in order to make things happen.
0: It's a pro, it's a profiteering system. Like you said, yeah, it's a, it's it's very often not the doctors. It's the hospitals. It's the systems that they're a part of. It's it, it's it's about profit. Right. And that's the problem. There's nothing wrong with profit. The problem that I see with our healthcare system is that it does put profits over people, just like pharmaceutical companies put profits over people, like a lot of you know very top level corporations today, uh, certainly in the United States, put profit over people, and you see it in our hospitals and in the healthcare system all the time. That profit comes first, people come sometimes very far down the list, you know, not even second, maybe let, last. Let
1: me. Let me throw this, this idea out to you, because this is something my mom always often says to me, my, my wise mom, she goes, what are people going to do with all this money, they're going to die and what's going to happen right with with their money. Okay, it'll go on to another family member who will go into this other cycle right at the end of the day your health is really your wealth right because once you lose your health you wish. You would have done everything possible to uh, to be ten steps ahead in the right direction. So, uh, you know, I, I take care of patients as young as ten and eleven to up to the eighties, right? And and all they want is to know how they can be healthy at whatever stage they're in and continue on that path, right? So, your health is really your wealth, and I, I and I never want you to forget that, and I never want you to forget that you actually have control over it. And and I was thinking about th- this thing, I was having this conversation with somebody the other day about the less you know about how your body works, the more controlled you are by other people.
0: Hey, thanks for listening to this episode. I want to take a quick second and let you know about something really special I recently updated. I think uh, you might benefit greatly from something I think you might enjoy and want to take a look at and it is my book called the panacea cleanse it's a powerful 12-day plant-based detoxification and healing guide it's already hit number one in four categories on amazon there's thousands of people that have done this cleanse and i've read so many testimonials from it let me read you one really quick aaron said i did the panacea cleanse and followed your instructions closely I had amazing results. I stayed healthy while everyone around me, my kids and family, were getting very ill from a virus. I also lost some weight, and my menstrual cycles are much less painful. I also don't have bad headaches anymore. Thanks for the information you put out. She's just one of thousands who have gained tremendous benefit from this cleanse. If you want to improve the quality of your life and your health, clean out your organs, clean out your digestive tract, help lose weight, and burn fat, and basically give you more energy, help you feel alive, go check out the Panacea Cleanse, P-A-N-A-C-E-A, the Panacea Cleanse on Amazon. It's like 12 bucks or something like that. And you can follow it day by day. It's got a recipe list. It's got a shopping list. It's got everything you need in there to follow this powerful cleanse. It took me about two years to create it My wife and I have done it multiple times. It's been amazing in our own lives, and I'm happy to share it with you. So uh, go check it out if you're interested, the Panacea Cleanse. It's on Amazon. Thanks, and let's get back to the show. Mm. Which is
1: why I spend so much of my time educating my patients or educating people wherever I'm speaking about how does your body actually work? Because that gives the control back to you. You don't want somebody else controlling your outcomes, your future.
0: It's such a powerful thing to think about. And I mean, we saw it with this, you know, viral pandemic, right? Where people's minds were completely taken control of through fear and ignorance. Ignorance, not in, I'm not shaming by saying people are ignorant. Ignorance, just the definition of ignorance, meaning you don't know what you don't know. And so the ignorance of not knowing that literally we, we need viruses to survive. Viruses are a part of every part of our body from our skins to our organs to our brains. To, and it's, you know, this fear that viruses are evil and they attack you and they try to kill you. And it's, all, and it's like that's not what viruses do at all, right? In fact, vi- some viruses obviously can um, affect our bodies in a negative way but we also a lot of that has to do with our internal environment of our bodies isn't it and it's and it's so much as you said it's like the more you understand about your body about uh, the the symbiosis the symbiosis that we have with bacteria and viruses and fungi and this interdependence you know beyond the old mindset of um, just uh survive you know survival of the fittest which we know anybody who's really studied nature knows that it's not about survival of the fittest at all actually it's about survival of the symbiosis about you know about the harmony between all living beings um that's what creates true survival beyond survival but but thriving but yeah i mean can you talk about that from your perspective uh, let's talk about viruses for a little bit yeah
1: absolutely so i i want you to Think of your body as a, um, you have this inner ecosystem, right, in your body, and this ecosystem in itself has to work harmoniously, because if it does not work harmoniously, that's when you end up with symptoms, which then symptoms become diseases and so on, right? So an example I I like to often give is um, imagine uh, Lake Tahoe, right? And Lake Tahoe is, is always in these pictures as this pristine A blue lake where you can if you stand in it you can see your feet all the way to the ground and uh, there's fish swimming around and the water is super clear Um, the the flora is just thriving and the fish are thriving everything around that the air the sky everything looks great now imagine if lake tahoe all of a sudden gets designated as a waste dump site and the next week a truck backs up and starts pouring all of its refuse, the plastic water bottles, the the garbage, the extra wires that we collect because we can't find our cell phone charger wires, right? Like all this excess stuff going into Lake Tahoe, right? And then you go back and you visit Lake Tahoe a week later. You can't stand in that lake. Those fish are no longer alive. The flora is dead. That entire ecosystem has basically died. Now, you have to take that analogy that I just gave you and think about what's happening in your body, right? So when we talk about all the different things and, and how to make them thrive, it, it makes a difference what you put in your body, what you put on your body and how much you love your microbiome, your microbiome which consists of all kinds of organisms, whether they are bacteria, yeast, viruses, whatever they are, you want the good guys there right because those are the ones that are going to help protect against inflammation protect against dna damage protect uh, your immune system right so think about it in this more bigger aspect of our own inner ecosystem
0: speaking of i'm remembering a uh this is a dad joke actually my daughter told me this joke the other day you know my daughter and um she's 12 she's turning third. she's gonna be a teen can you believe it? She's 30, turning thirteen hey. next month. Oh my gosh, I can't believe it. Anyway, she told me this joke because we're talking about fungus, fungus, fungi, yeast. She said, "Why was the mushroom invited to the party? Because he was a fun guy." He's a
1: fun guy. Hey.
0: <laughs> <laughs> no, but really, it's it, it, seriously though. We it, it, the less you know, the more you can be controlled. If you're told. Yeah. You know, fungus is bad for you, viruses are bad for you, bacteria is bad for you. So what does that mean? As much hand sanitizer as possible, as much, you know, sanitization of everything, sterilization of everything as possible. we got to keep everything super clean and kill all bacteria. Kill. That's what antibiotics do, right? We want to go in and basically destroy the good and the bad inside of your microbiome. We don't really care what it's doing to the good. We're just going to wipe it all out. So we're going to give you antibiotics, biotic literally meaning life anti, meaning against life, antibiotic against life. We're going to literally destroy life within you with this antibiotic. Now, some antibiotics could be useful in certain times. Again, this is where, you know, integrative medicine can come in. But a lot of times they're very unnecessary and can cause more damage than good. But if you didn't know that and you didn't know that you need all these bacteria and viruses and different kinds of fungi in your system and in your body, and you live, try to live a super sterile, fearful life away from all of the the natural environment. What ha- what happens? Look at a hospital. More people get sick inside of hospitals. They're supposed to be the most sterile places, right? Um, than than many other places. Also, look at these antibiotic resistant, or I mean, the, these um, bacterial resist superbugs, right? Resistant to antibiotics. Why? Because It is against life it's against nature for us to try to over sterilize things but if you don't know this then you just walk this path and end up like unfortunately so many people today with all kinds of chronic diseases earlier and earlier cancers are earlier and earlier right cancers kills over 10 million people annually A 100 years ago cancer was almost unheard of diabetes type 2 diabetes primarily diet and lifestyle is exploding into the millions and millions of people, and that's something that is preventable in like almost almost every single person, Alzheimer's, dementia, autoimmune, all these issues, chronic inflammatory issues are preventable diseases, and yet, because people don't because of what you said, people don't know what they don't know. they do pretty much what they're told. they eat you know a lot of the the, the poor foods that are out there that are leading to sickness and disease. And now we have a you know a, a very sad pandemic of suffering among our fellow human beings that otherwise could be prevented.
1: So th- this is a great time for me to introduce you and your audience to a concept of functional culinary medicine, um, which is really something that based off of my multiple trainings, I've really combined the principles of functional medicine with the culinary arts, right? because at the end of the day, this is gonna help both prevent and it aims to treat diseases like cancer, ultimately through a personalized, evidence-based approach, right? uh, Considering the individual's genetic makeup, considering their lifestyle, and of course, environmental factors, right? Because it's not just our lifestyle, it's what's going on in the environment. And we as individuals can influence that by our actions. So some of the, the key principles that I might incorporate in, in functional culinary medicine is a, really a focus on food quality, right? Um, what people are eating is not real food. If you don't give your body nutrient-dense food, it will the cells basically get angry, shrivel up, become damaged, become um, dysplastic, because they're they're asking for ingredients and you don't give it to them. And over time, when they replicate, they replicate into something that's not even a a normal cell. It becomes an abnormal dysplastic, precancerous cell, right? So we want to make sure we're focusing on our food. We also want to take a personalized approach to this, right? So doing in-depth testing, if that could become the norm for everybody and not Uh, this testing that we wait until it's bad enough that we've got a medication that we can stick on it, like cholesterol, for example, if you start seeing that year after year, slowly start creeping up, don't wait for your doctor to tell you, oh, it's fine, come back next year, see what you can do. And if your doctor can't advise you, find another doctor who can, because this is a lifestyle thing, right? Um, always a heavy emphasis on gut health, right? In Ayurveda, we believe all the disease starts in the gut. It's been said before, um, all disease starts in the gut, right? Our immune system lives in the gut. Our neurotransmitters are made in the gut. So if you don't have a strong or healthy gut, which is by the way, highly influenced by the food you put in your mouth and the plate you have in front of you, you're going to at some point have some illness that you're going to have to deal with. Uh, Some of the other principles in functional culinary medicine I might incorporate would be mindful eating, right? So how many of us are eating in the car, on the go, walking, talking, eating, and not actually sitting down and giving ourselves a chance to absorb the nutrients?
0: Um, I'm I'm very guilty of that still, even as much (laughs) as I know about mindful eating, as much as I've practiced it, as much as I've taught about it, I'm still guilty of it. Um, I, I sit and eat and I play chess. I love to play chess. So that's like one of the things that I do when I'm eating is I play chess. Um, which is to me is kind of calming and relaxing though. So I I wouldn't call it mindful eating, but it's, it could be better than sitting and watching some intense, you know, drama, something, right? Because talk about why mindful eating. It's because you're, you're basically engaging certain hormones that uh, may disrupt with digestion. Can you talk a little bit about it?
1: Yeah. So a little bit more about mindful me- eating. So we want to take away the TV dinners that were developed in the 80s where you would pull up like, you know, the fold up table, you put the TV dinner out, you sit in front of your TV and then you just eat whatever was there. Right. We, we want to go towards mindful eating. And that mindful eating can start as early as the preparation of your food, meaning you're actually looking at the food you have in front of you, what you're preparing, that you have a well balanced, predominantly whole foods, plant based diet as much as possible, wherever you are on your journey of nutrition. But you're looking at the colors of the rainbow, making sure you're getting nutrients in there, phytonutrients, all these different ingredients, right? Most people are eating basically brown. White and a little bit of green food. Very little, but the majority of their plate is a, a brown or white food, right? And I, and I want you to focus more on this colorful array because each of those things has multiple nutrients, um, phytonutrients, whether they're carotenoids, flavonoids, whatever they might be in there that are going to fight disease, right? So like I said, it starts as early as making your what I call mise en place, right? So this is a chef's term where you put everything in front of you and you look and you're like, everything's organized and it makes everything super easy to put together. Um, And then next step, start smelling it, right? So as you're cooking the food, when you start inhaling it, your olfactory senses uh, go into hyperdrive and then tell the body and the brain that, oh, it's time to eat, right? So anytime... You can imagine um, you smell something that has a good uh, smell. I remember one of the hospitals I used to work in um, around lunchtime, you'd always smell in the hallways, chocolate chip cookies because they had the Otis, whatever chocolate chip cookies baking and and it it smelled the entire hospital hallway. But by that smell, what you're doing is you're activating things to start releasing digestive enzymes right? So your digestion process is already starting before your food even gets into your stomach. Then as you have the food and you put it in your mouth, remember to chew. We often don't allow the food to break down even before it gets to our stomach. And then we wonder why we're so bloated. And after we eat a meal, it's a you didn't take time to chew. and And if you need um if you're one of those people like me like I I am not a fan of I I love salads I eat salads every day but I do not like the cutting of the salad so I actually have a a device that like when I travel I bring with me (laughs) to uh, cut it down and chop it up so that way I'm making sure that I'm able to start getting as much of these veggies in right and these fruits and veggies in um so and then If you think about the process of digestion, it does start in the mouth with the salivary glands, releasing digestive enzymes. It progresses through your esophagus, which essentially is more of a muscular type of organ because it's pushing the food. And then it goes to your stomach, where your stomach releases more enzymes um, in order to break down the food. That stomach needs the help of the pancreas to send pancreatic enzymes and needs the help of the liver and the gallbladder to send bile, especially if you have eaten a very heavy fatty uh, meal because bile is necessary to break down that food. Right. And then it continues its journey from the stomach into the small intestine, mostly duodenum all the way into the small intestine and then the large intestine. Right. So there's this process that's going on and If we are basically sitting at a TV or sitting in a car, shoving down food, driving, being angry, talking to somebody, we haven't taken the moment to slow down to actually absorb any of those nutrients. So what's going to happen? One, you're not going to have the nutrients you need in order for your cells to function. Two, you might become bloated. Three, you might become constipated and wonder why that, you know, because you didn't really support digestion to the best of your ability.
0: I interviewed a neuroscientist many years ago, this was probably 12 years ago, maybe, it seemed maybe longer than that, about mindful eating because they did studies on this in his laboratory and they would look at the brain and they would look at and they would do mindful eating and take like a raisin or an almond or something and just like slowly you know kind of suck on it and chew it slowly and just really experience i recommend anybody do this it's actually a really cool practice just take it like spend you know five minutes with like just a raisin at a time for example look at it observe it and put on your tongue and feel it and then kind of taste it and then slowly chew into it and anyway they were doing studies on the brain what happens and you know what he found is it takes roughly 20 seconds from that food entering into your mouth and you chewing it for your brain to then signal the rest of your body. Hey, this is a raisin. Here's what we need to do. Boom. We need these enzymes. We need this process. We need da da da. da. As you said, it can happen. It can start to happen even before that with certain smells, but with a, you know, food like a raisin, you're not really going to smell it. So you put it in and it's 20 seconds. Now go think about what a lot of, um, our grandparents and even parents may have said, "Growing up, make sure you chew your food. Chew, chew at least twenty times. Right, twenty mm-hmm. times. You're chewing one time per second. That's twenty seconds." We have the neuroscience to actually back that up now, which is which is incredible. Um, some of these, you know, <laughs> kind of old ways of of being that somehow people have known way before the science and. And yeah, how many of us are just like on the go chewing and swal- you know, swallowing down our food? I mean, I grew up with four brothers. So if there was a good meal and you liked it and you wanted seconds, you had to wolf it down quick before you could get any more. You know, so that was like a habit I've had to like unlearn and, and probably still unlearning some of it to this day where, you know, slow it down, chew a little, spend a little more time chewing, a little more time appreciating the food. Um. I do look at my food. I do, you know, pray for it and give gratitude and thanks, you know, send good energy to it while I eat it. Um, but I could certainly do better with mindful eating for sure. Yeah.
1: And, and what you're kind of talking about is um, something that's often if if individuals um, go through any um, mindfulness based stress reduction um, techniques, that is one of the techniques that we use when we're helping people learn mindfulness more now me personally I'm not a fan of reasons I feel like the texture gets really weird in the mouth and it kind of disrupts the experience so <laughs> I've really? actually taught taught this in my own retreats and um, depending on where I am the last one we did it with coconut water mm. from a fresh from a fresh coconut Nice. And can you imagine you're on holiday and you haven't taken a, like you're drinking coconut water, but you haven't taken a moment to actually stop, pause t- actually taste it after the people did this exercise. They were like, that was some of the best tasting coconut water I've ever had in my life. <laughs> it's know? true.
0: It's true with anything. I've tested with a bunch of stuff like I've tested with my kids. I taken them through this mindful eating practice with almonds. And like the flavor that comes out of the almond is like, I didn't, I didn't know almonds tasted this good, you know?
1: (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. And and I'm glad to hear that you are thankful before your meal. I'm going to give you one more um, uh, thing to consider is to be thankful after your meal. You know, often, often we are very thankful before we have the meal, but taking a moment at the end, which will then also allow you to process, am I full? Am I still hungry? You know, when you take that moment to pause, yeah. uh, you can give yourself time to recognize where you are in your state of being full, hungry, maybe you overate, right? So just a moment of pause with that um, after meal thankfulness.
0: Yeah, that's really smart. Um, there's a And there's a term, maybe you can remember it. I think it's from uh, very common in Okinawa, Japan, that basically is a uh there's a word i can't remember what it is but it basically means like eat until you're 80 percent full and that's that's a part of the culture there and it's a really smart i mean for health and longevity that's a really really smart thing to do right eat a little bit slower let the food come down and settle in and then you can pay attention and go okay yeah i'm feeling good i don't need anymore you know if you're eating potato chips and doritos and fried foods You know and processed garbage foods that have no nutrients i mean you can eat that stuff all day and not ever feel full right so what we're talking about is real foods here because we're eating basically garbage food and candy bars and stuff like that you don't get full that's why you can just keep eating 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 until you you know weigh 400 pounds because that your body's like i need nutrients i need nutrients so you keep feeling hungry 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 and you're like "I'm, i'm eating but i'm still hungry i'm eating but i'm still hungry it's like Yeah, because you're not getting any nutrients from that food versus you eat a real food dish, you get get full very quickly.
1: Yeah, your cells are speaking to you. You have to take a moment to pause and listen to them. Otherwise, they will speak very loudly when they develop a symptom. You know, that's basically, these are all signs of your cells speaking to you as I talk. You know, so pay attention to what your body is saying to you.
0: It's a good point, That's something I, you know, try to help people understand as much as possible is, you know, things like diabetes, autoimmune disease, chronic fatigue, cancer, heart disease, those are symptoms, right? We think of them as this dis- invading disease that's taken over my life, and it's like, no, heart disease is a symptom of an unhealthy lifestyle. Cancer, in most cases, is a symptom of a toxic internal environment, external environment. Diabetes is a type two, type one is still very questionable. Type two diabetes is a symptom of a unhealthy lifestyle. These are symptoms that present themselves due to how we live and eat. And if we can change the underlying causes that led to those symptoms, well, then very often we can change the result of that symptom.
1: 100%.
0: I wanted to ask you, so you're a really smart person, obviously. Very well educated. A um, lot of experience. I've worked with a lot of patients. Uh, have seen a lot of good results in your practice. And your research and experience led you to a plant-based diet, a whole food plant-based diet, a vegan diet, if you will, or let's call it, say a healthy version of a vegan diet. Mm-hmm. What do you think of... People like, um, I don't know if you follow Paul Saladino at all, carnivore MD, or some of the other doctors out there, health doctors, who are promoting a carnivore diet and saying, or an animal-based diet, which is, you know, meat and organs and fruit, um, and saying that plants are actually bad for you because they have defense chemicals, they have anti-nutrients, they have blah, 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 that are hurting you. And so you should avoid plants And you should eat meat and organs and fruit
1: well nathan that is a loaded question hey we got time (laughs) we got time (laughs) you gave me a loaded question here all right so and i'm gonna say this from my point of view just from what i have seen like i said i have been looking at literally trillions of human cells under a microscope for years and years and years and um they are being influenced by multiple factors not just our diet but the diet is one of those things that we are doing every single day right what we are eating we're going to continue to eat and the research although young i still find is enough to have converted me from eating everything i mean i remember Hospital food is basically pizza, turkey sandwiches, chicken sandwiches, whatever, you know, is in the doctor's lounge, processed soups, um, mini soda cans. I mean, I grew up eating this stuff. And and in the hospitals, this is the stuff they have, right? Um, When you look at a doctor, I want you to, first of all, any doctor you are taking advice from, see how healthy they are, Right. Because I know plenty of cardiologists who go out in the back of the building of the hospital and smoking cigarettes. I would not want to take health advice from them. Right. So definitely take a look at how healthy your doctor is. That's giving you advice. They should be walking their talk. Right. It's not to
0: to to I agree with that 100 percent. And to defend Paul and I can't remember the other. There's a few other kind of, you know, medical doctors today who consider themselves you know, functional medicine doctors teaching nutrition carnivore as a way they they do look very healthy. And um, the funny thing about Paul is that his um, co- um, his cholesterol uh, is very high. He shared his numbers, but he has a theory that cholesterol only matters in an environment of insulin resistance. And so I I mean, I I could come to believe that theory, you know, if there's evidence to support it. The problem is, is that he kind of tries to force that belief on everybody without solid evidence that that's a fact. But he himself claims, you know, tons of energy. He's he's lean. He looks healthy. And some of the other doctors as well uh, who promote this diet. So, I mean, just to defend them in this particular case, they do seem healthy. They don't have insulin resistance. And um but anyway, yeah. yeah give can, them a
1: give them a few years. All right. So, continue, so yeah. you just yeah, you just reminded me that um so I, I I met um Bob Harper, who was one of the hosts of um Biggest Loser um at a um US US Open one time. And I remember talking to him, he was promoting his book at that time. This was years years and years ago. And um and and I'm just looking at him like, yes, totally fit, totally ripped person. Only years later to find out he had a heart attack, which most people would not have survived that heart attack. Um, The the reason he survived it is because he, he was so like he, he, his heart had the muscle, but that he was too young to have a heart attack because he was eating an extremely heavy protein diet that was not well balanced. Right. So when I'm thinking of these people who are um, eating a very heavy carnivore style diet and not well balancing it, they're actually missing out on phytonutrients that are going to fight their diseases, right? Because you're not going to get phyto, which means plant, from animal products, right? Um, Then I'm thinking about the fact that there's things in animal products. Not everybody, first of all, has access to grass-fed beef and all these clean meats. And that. this is not what the, these people who are these celebrity doctors that are um, telling you to eat. You, most people don't have access to the foods that they're eating, first of all. So that's that's another thing to keep in mind. Um, but I want you to think about, let's just take it from the perspective of colon cancer. So just one cancer, which is absolutely on the rise in our younger population, in fact, colon cancer. In fact, I I have a friend who had colon cancer in their thirties. He still eats his steaks and I'm going, well, you know, that is definitely your choice, but, um, I wouldn't be doing my duty as a doctor without sharing what I know. Right. So what I do know is that the more saturated fat and you get saturated fat from animal products, right more saturated fats you eat, the more you stimulate your liver to produce more bile acids, okay? So the more bile acids you have, the more it alters your gut microbiome. And remember, 80% of your immune system lives in your gut microbiome. When that microbiome gets altered, it creates a pro-inflammatory environment in your gut, therefore increasing your risk of colon cancer. All right, so that's one one reason for me to go, hey, I'm not, I am not messing with my gut microbiome in a bad way, right? Now imagine those individuals who have actually had their gallbladders taken out because so many people have had their gallbladders taken out and they still continue to eat these fatty foods. They don't digest them very well because they don't have the bile acids and the storage that the gallbladder used to do in order to break down the food, right? So these these saturated fats, are influencing your microbiome in a negative way. The other thing that I've noticed in um, and, and and the research says, this. I mean, this is this is coming from the research, right? So whether you choose to believe it or not, and, and there's going to be research on both sides. But to me, I'm looking at the individuals whose colon is sitting in front of me because they've had to now go into the operating room and have like a 12 centimeter piece of colon removed from them and these tumors in real life which you guys don't get to see which i wish i could show you they are nasty they are ugly looking they look nothing like normal tissue in your body right um, the second thing that happens especially with a lot of red and processed meat is heme iron okay Heme iron produce, heme iron, which is found in red meat and processed meats. Basically, it produces a reactive oxygen species, and so you can think of it as a pro-oxidant instead of an antioxidant. And what does that pro-oxidant do? It causes DNA damage, right? And that DNA damage is basically a catalyst for changes in uh, compounds in your gut. And changes to contribute that pathway of carcinogenesis uh, from, you know, maybe a uh, nothing in the colon to a tubular adenoma, which is essentially low-grade dysplasia, to a more cancerous lesion. And then the other one that I often talk about is heterocyclic amines, right? So, you know, summertime, everybody's on the barbecue, they're grilling their meat, they're charring it down to the bone, right? And when meat is cooked, at high temperatures, like grilling or frying, it actually creates heterocyclic amines that cause DNA mutations. DNA mutations contribute to cell proliferation, which means that your human cells are turning over faster than they should. Therefore, contributing once again to colon cancer. So, for me, that—I mean—that those are just a few reasons. Obviously, I know hundreds more. It's enough to to when i've held in my hand your colon cancer your breast cancer your uterine cancer your lung cancer all of this this is happening on a cellular level right all of this dna damage that's happening there's multiple things going on it's not just your food it's you know um uh the beauty products you're putting on your body it's the air you're breathing you know there's some things that are obviously out of our control but i'm surprised to see some people are still smoking cigarettes some people are still drinking alcohol like it's a good thing for them. Me, I'm protecting my DNA because if I can protect my DNA, I can protect my cells and my cells will continue to flourish and and replicate in a healthy state rather than a damaged state, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's, that's the more I saw, the more I dug into the literature and the research And the more people I interviewed and the more cancer patients I worked with and the more I experimented in my own life, I came to the same conclusion. And I still believe a whole food, nutrient-dense, plant-based diet is the best diet for majority of people on the planet. And people go, oh, there's not one diet for everybody. Yeah, but you got to remember, a whole food, nutrient-dense, plant-based diet literally means you have hundreds of thousands of options of Mm -hmm within that diet now at your local grocery store maybe you don't have that many options but we have that many food you know edible uh and i would consider most of medicinal plant species on the planet Um, you might not have access to them but you have access to dozens sometimes hundreds uh, certainly in in powders and things now as well but whole foods you can buy from the grocery store you know dozens and dozens of options and mix it in so many different ways So, I mean, I still believe that, but I I do, uh, and I will continue. I'm not a zealot, and I'm not so close-minded, right? It's like I'm always seeking truth. And that's one of my early spiritual mentors when I was 20 years old. Really helped me become serious about, like, the, the... the dedication to always seeking truth. And even if that truth means that maybe what I believe to be true up until a certain point, maybe is not the full truth, or maybe it's wrong or partially wrong. And so, you know, when I see people saying, oh, I have these issues, and I switched to carnivore diet, and they went away, and now I'm healthier than I've ever been. You know, these doctors promoting carnivore diet, and they're saying, hey, it's healing these kinds of chronic health issues, and people are getting better, their numbers are better, diseases are going away, and I'm seeing this more and more and more and more. I'm like, okay, I'm gonna pay attention. I'm gonna watch. I'm gonna listen. I'm gonna research it. I'm gonna question it as much as I possibly can. I'm not gonna close my mind to it. Five years ago, I closed my mind to it. Ah, oh, you guys are stupid. You don't know what you're talking about. Now I'm like, no, I can't be that way. I need to be open to everything, attached to nothing. That's a you know Buddhist principle uh, taught to me by Buddhist monks in San Diego over a decade ago. Open to everything, attached to nothing. And so, so I have to question it and be like, okay, so what's really going on there? I do believe Paul, you know, I'll say this publicly. I believe Paul Saladino is a brilliant man, but I also think he's stupid. (laughs) And I don't mean that in a, in a, I'm not attacking him. I'm saying, I think you can be brilliant and stupid at the same time. And he may be onto something. I don't know. But when he comes out and then says, You know, it comes with all these claims that you should not eat plants because, you know, kale and um, bok choy and broccoli and legumes and beans and these things, they have anti nutrients and they don't want to be eaten and they have lectins and they have all these, you know, things that that are bad for you and saying plants are bad for you, you shouldn't eat them. That's the stupid part. Like, that is it. Number one, there is zero evidence showing, and you can look into the research and I'm sure you have because I have, zero evidence, and in in fact, evidence that does show, if you eat a whole food, nutrient-dense, plant-based diet, those little tiny so-called anti-nutrients don't affect you in a way that would be um, important. Like, they're not, we're talking minimal percentages of, of, you know, calcium-binding molecules that pull out, you know, a few percent of calcium. Well, when you're getting lots of calcium through a nutrient diverse diet like we're talking about, you don't have to worry about it. An unhealthy vegan diet, you would have to worry about it. If you're eating Doritos and potato chips and garbage food, yeah, you got to worry about being lacking nutrients, right? But you know, the other thing too is like the way we prepare foods and the way we've prepared foods for centuries and our ancestors have prepared plant foods for centuries and have done so safely and healthfully uh, removes most of those things anyway like lectins and so forth, removes majority of it. Like when you cook beans fully, no one's going to go eat a raw bean, right? Like would you, you're going to break your teeth. (laughs) People might undercook it and then have excess lectins, but you don't want to undercook, you cook the beans until they're soft. And that's something you would naturally do anyway. Well, guess what? You've just, or if you soak the beans or soak the rice, you know, ahead of time, like people have done for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years, All of these so-called anti-nutrients are deactivated, majority of them. So that's the part I say, well, yeah, you're kind of stupid when you come out and claim, maybe you're onto something with the meat and the fruit. I don't know because I don't know any studies that we have that have looked at 20 or 30, have followed patients for 30 years on a carnivore diet the way that they teach it, right? Most of the studies we have, people are on, let's be honest, junk food American diets. They eat a lot of meat, but they eat a lot of processed food, a lot of hamburgers from McDonald's, a lot of garbage food. So we know there's a lot of toxins and, and, you know, all kinds of additives and all kinds of other junk in there too. So, you know, that's, that's where it's like, okay, but we don't have evidence, long-term evidence to say this is good or bad for you. So I think you have to take it really carefully and with a grain of salt. And I think where the problem is. These people are coming out and saying plants are bad for you. The carnivore diet is the way to go. You know, this is the only thing I'm like, dude, you're like, I mean, maybe you're leading millions of people down a path of devastation in 10 or 20 years, you know, and then yeah. what about the do no harm? Right.
1: Um, I, I definitely feel there is a lot of this versus that and a lot of confusion out there. Right. Um, But I highly advise you, first of all, start with the simple aspect of what are you eating to begin with, because if you are eating the standard American diet and you're picking up takeout or, or drive through every night. You don't need to worry about meat versus plants. We've got somewhere else to start with you, right? (laughs)
0: Right.
1: So so you gotta, you know, before uh, everybody loves controversy, right? But But I want you to remember that anytime you engage yourself in controversy, you're also increasing your own internal stress hormones, your cortisol, right? So what happens then? You're going into your own sympathetic fight response, right? What happens then? You're decreasing anything you're going to digest because digestion happens in your parasympathetic state. So if you're creating this whole environment of this versus that in any aspect of your life, you're losing the game. And I want you to win the game. So start with the simple aspects of it. So I think um, probably people would love to know, Nathan, and I'll share what I did. What did you eat for lunch today?
0: I made a green... Curry with tofu and um, sugar snap peas and brown rice with garlic and onion and uh, a lot of good herbs um, and coconut water.
1: Okay, and you didn't invite me over for lunch. And I know. Neighbor, I'm so. sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> Next time. Next time. <laughs> we could have done this interview in person. It was so um, good.
0: Okay. You know what? That's a great idea. Why don't we think of that? Next time we do it, we should do it in person. But anyway. <laughs>
1: um, so for me, um, lunch is usually my, my salad. So about five cups of mixed greens, um, edamame. So I did have my, my soy for the day. Um, I believe there was some black rice in there. And then a bunch of um, almost cubed and diced um, different veggies, which include um, included... Uh, carrots, zucchini. uh, I think there's cucumber. And then um, always topped with um, either nuts or seeds. So this this was a combination of cashews and hemp seeds with a a green dressing, like a homemade green
0: sauce. You know what would have been amazing is that salad with my curry and my curry with your salad like we split that half <laughs> in half that would have been perfect you kidding me yes
1: we, we should do that next time
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah i try to get um normally when i make a curry i actually put more veggies but we were like running out of veggies lose my wife hadn't gone to the store yet she literally went to the store yesterday evening and i made this dish yesterday at lunch so i had some yesterday and today usually i'll put more veggies in it actually but literally the only fresh veggies i had were the peas but um, I try to get, you know, f- anywhere, I mean, on a low end, I think days, I might get four servings of veggies on a high end, six or seven. Um, but I, you know, the way to get more veggies in for me is in the morning in my smoothies. Um, I mean, I would have green juice most mornings, but you're not getting the fiber. but I'm still getting the nutrients from the vegetable green juice. But then I'll do a smoothie and I'll put in like celery, cucumber. Um, I'll put in, you know, let's just say, let's say veggies right now. Celery, cucumber, um, spinach and or kale. And I'll put a good amount of each in or or I'll do carrots. Um, And I put fruit and other things in there too. But so that way I can get anywhere from, you know, about three servings just first thing in the morning in my smoothie. And then that way the rest of the day, it's like I get one or two servings at lunch, one or two servings at dinner. And I'm already at like six or seven servings of veggies for the day. It makes it so much easier that way.
1: Okay. I'm going to, I'm going to give you a little bit of a challenge here because Uh-oh. I'm, I'm going to take my, my functional culinary medicine approach on you. Right. And combine some Ayurveda. So in Ayurveda, we, we don't want to be putting that cool of a food into our body. So hopefully you're not adding ice or something to make it very cold. Because you're depends how hot it off. is.
0: In, depends how hot it is in the morning, because uh, yeah, so, lately here so in Jacksonville, I, it's been insanely hot in the morning <laughs> in my garage when don't I'm working. Want you,
1: I don't want you to turn off that digestive fire or that ugly that that you really want in order to digest all of these like raw foods, because for the, for the people listening who, who go, oh, well, that, I can do that in the morning. I can do that smoothie. And then all of a sudden, they're like, well, now I'm not feeling well because I did this smoothie of all this raw stuff. And it's not something they're used to eating, right? That then they blame the plants. And it's not the plant's fault, okay? People, <laughs> do not blame blame your plants. It's just maybe the timing of that is not right for you, or maybe this is not the correct thing for your particular dosha per se, right? So for me, always think about um, personalizing your your own profile of what you're going to have for the morning and really taking the concept of these are the foods I eat for breakfast, these are the foods I eat for lunch, and these are the foods that I eat for dinner, and looking at which of these foods is better for your body at, at a particular time. So, for me, you know, my body loves cooling foods just based off of my dosha, right? So, anything are you fight, you fi- you
0: must be fire like me. I'm like I'm fire, fire all You're the You're fire while. too. Yeah. Yeah.
1: <laughs> so, cooling is- foods yeah. are going to be great, right? So, cucumbers, watermelon, all, all of those cooling foods are going to be great. But sometimes maybe if you're imbalanced and you want some more warming food, so like somebody who is not so fiery and maybe somebody who's slow and sluggish um, and has more of a um, <clears throat> kapha dosha where they're, you're, they're more slower. And then they put this, this smoothie in there that they cannot digest because it's raw, uncooked foods they might be better off having a vegetable smoothie for breakfast, like a cooked one, like a vegetable soup. Like
0: a vegetable soup. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. My wife's that way. She's like, we're opposites, So she's like really cold all the time. I'm more warm, right? She wants more warm foods. I generally want more cooler foods. Depends the temperature too. Like if it's warm out, like I do not want warm food or like, like a hot soup or something, like if it's hot out, you know, but generally, yeah. So we have those, those opposites, but that's how like, she loves a warm something, you know, in the morning. And I, I start with a warm drink in the morning. Like um uh I do um I make a uh decaf latte with mushroom powder mm-hmm. and cacao first thing in the morning. But
1: well that um, sounds good.
0: Yeah, it's really good. Oh so, <laughs> but 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 the but yeah, like you're saying, it's like learning what works for your body at what time of the day i also think what the temperature is too i mean does that make a difference because depending how the temperature is depends like what i want to put in my body
1: so so there is this concept in ayurveda where you want to eat seasonally right so there's a reason why in the summer we have more cooling foods like fruits and watermelons and why in the winter we have more pumpkins and sweet potatoes and all of this available to us obviously this is going to vary across where you live. Like in California, you can probably get anything, any time of the year, right? Temperature wise, right? So you wanna wanna look at where you're living, what's available. Not only is that food going to be better for you, it's going to be fresher, meaning it's going to have more nutrients because it didn't have to travel miles and miles to get to you. Because if you're trying to get fresh strawberries in New York City, in the winter, I guarantee they're coming from not a New York farmer, but a California farmer. So now they
0: travel. are coming from Mexico, or, Mexico yeah. or Central America or South America, and they picked them way too. This is why, like, I can't eat strawberries. It sucks because, you know, unless it's local or they're seasonal because they taste so terrible when they're out of season because they pick them so early. By the time they get to you, they ripen, but they there's no flavor in them, you know, like they taste terrible. Uh, okay. That
1: That is a very good point. And I, and I don't think most people realize how good different foods can taste until they've tasted really good real food. Like I know avocados. I'm sorry, I've been spoiled. I've lived in California. So avocados from California are absolutely delicious. And in other places, they taste like absolutely nothing. You're right. Same thing with strawberries, right? So try and buy locally uh, whatever is available, that food is going to taste better. Um, another thing you just reminded me of um, is some of our big retailers that are selling produce, I was very uh, disappointed to to say since we're talking about uh, different foods that sometimes in order for them to um, reach these far destinations like, if they're coming from South America or they're coming from the West coast to get to us, they are actually sprayed with chemicals in order to keep them looking fresh. Okay. One of those chemicals happens to be petroleum. And so the local peaches right now that we are getting in the stores are drenched in petroleum in order to love some petroleum. Who
0: doesn't love some petroleum on their fruit? Come on. Petrol- Petroleum all day. I'll eat it's, that it's all day. It's written
1: on the side of the box. And and I really, I, I really okay. should take a picture of it because I was blown away that a, a more um, a consumer-friendly retailer was doing this. And I'm like, well, that's quite disappointing. Um, so I think at the end of the day, once again, we go back to the less you know, the more you are controlled therefore learn as much as you can and don't get overwhelmed by it, but apply a little bit every day.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. Um, so what do you think about, you know, obviously promoting a whole food plant-based diet, um, a healthy version. It's like, I always have to qualify a healthy version of a vegan diet because like, Vegan can mean so many things to so many people, and it can just because it's vegan doesn't mean it's healthy. So that's why it's like it, it sucks, but I always have to qualify it when I'm talking about it. Talking about a whole food, nutrient dense, like real food, biodiverse diet. Like, think about the salad that you just shared with us. I mean, in that alone, you had, you know, nuts and seeds and vegetables, and um, I think some healthy fats in there. You had, you know, just different colors in there, different kinds of. Uh, veggies and nuts and seeds in there in just one salad alone. And you're mixing, increasing that diversity throughout all of your meals throughout the day. But just because we say vegan or even plant-based doesn't necessarily mean it's healthy. This big push towards, you know, these these fake vegan meats and (laughs) people who are like, yeah, I want to go vegan because I heard it's healthier. I want to go vegan because... I heard it helps the planet or I want to go vegan because I actually like animals and I don't want to kill them, you know, (laughs) or or whatever your reason is. But then you go down a vegan or plant-based path and you end up buying all these fake meats because they taste delicious. They look like something you're similar to you've been eating. They look and taste kind of like meat. Um, But, what are your thoughts on on the vegan fake meat? Should people eat them or should they avoid them?
1: Processed is processed is processed. No matter whether it's a processed vegan meat or a processed uh, actual meat hot dog, right? So processed food is the category that you want to stay very far, far away from, um, no, ma- no matter what. And I know that... Um, companies are trying to find a happy medium between what the standard American diet is and um, really getting people to a whole foods diet. But at the end of the day, those burgers or chicken nuggets or whatever that are made from ingredients that aren't really identifiable or made in a lab is still processed, right? So nothing wrong with eating a veggie burger but imagine if you made your own veggie burger with black beans quinoa maybe sweet potato put some spices in it and that's your burger not something that like personally i don't even like the texture of those things Uh, i find it very strange and and i used to be a meat eater i absolutely did i remember i uh, when i finished my board exam uh decades ago what did all of us do after our board exam we all went to the steakhouse and we had a big piece of steak, each of us. I remember it like it was yesterday. It was, it was decades ago, but um, but at the end of the day, it's still processed, right? So that goes back to a whole foods, plant-based, and as much as possible. And I, I, I know on your good day, you're at six. I, that My challenge was going to be to try and get you to 10 a day. I, I really challenge you to look at 10 servings, veggies and fruits, a
0: day 10 because of each I, ten, I of it, eight, a, 10 of each
1: no 10 together if oh you yeah yeah ten, yeah no i minimum. get t-
0: i get 10 yeah, together you know. yeah 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 i get 10 yeah. together i was just i was just seeing how many veggies that i get in a day how many vegetables which i'd get yeah. between four to four to seven usually um but fruit same thing i'll 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 get at least four to seven a day of fruit um blueberries blueberries are my favorite i put blueberries in everything (laughs) i put them in my smoothie i put fresh blueberries in my uh in my oats um Mm -hmm. but i do you know i bananas and oranges and mandarin and um when my wife gets mangoes fresh mangoes and cuts them up and they're ripe oh there's nothing better than a good ripe fresh mango are you kidding me um yeah i mean i love fruit who doesn't love fruit like when you when you start to you know i used to be addicted to sugar processed sugar ice cream like i could eat so much ice cream i could eat so many candy bars i could eat so much you know processed sugar junk food and obviously never feel satiated but as i started back in 2007 or 2008 when i did my first cleanse um and then you know, went five days without any food and basically just water and lemon juice and things like that. And then I started getting really in tune with my, with my body and my digestive system and kind of coming out of that cleanse and then starting to research health and nutrition and then doing more and more cleanses. It's like the more that I cut, the more time I had away from those processed sugars, the, the less and less I felt called to eat them. And over time, like when I always had to have ice cream in the freezer, I mean, I'll go months and now I'll go years without ice, like no desire to have ice cream. If I like the other day, I was like, oh, I'm going to make some ice cream. And I make like frozen strawberries with frozen mango and throw a banana in there, splash of orange juice, blend it up. And it's like that's the most delicious ice cream you could ever have, you know, versus these tubs of ice cream with so much processed sugar in it where I used to be addicted to like I had to eat tons and tons of it. I have no desire like it is so hyper palatably sweet that I have no desire for. And I'm sharing that because the more you clean, in my case and many others I've talked to, the more you clean out your body, the more fresh foods you put in, the less and less of these you know, hyper palatable, super sweet, you know, delicious foods, fake foods that you put in, it's like the less you want them. I have no desire to eat many of those foods anymore. And if I do, like I want some potato chips or something, it's like once in a blue moon. Like, I'm not so strict that like, oh, I can't have some potato chips once a month, you know, on a trip traveling somewhere or whatever. I'll let myself have that. But I'll eat a couple handfuls and I'm done. Like, I can't eat anymore. And I'm good for like a month or two, you know. Um, And that's possible for everybody if you do what you're telling is clean out your body by starting to implement more of these healthier foods into your diet. Is that what you found as well?
1: I did, yeah, and and actually, my palate is so clean now that if somebody tries to give me a salad and it's not organic greens, I can taste the pesticides. Like <laughs> really, I, I can taste the chemicals on food. Yeah, yeah, yeah. but um, I, I I think the the message really here is that give your body a chance to kind of clean itself up. Because one of the things people don't realize is that these symptoms that their cells are angry and they're getting bloating or they're having skin issues or they're having headaches or whatever they might be experiencing, that those aren't normal. Like it's not normal to be bloated after a meal. It's not normal to feel like you you have a migraine coming on because you ate a meal. There's something going on. And this is your opportunity to say, hey, I need to listen to my body. I need to talk to somebody who can help me understand what's going on in my body. Because I, I feel people spend so much time suffering in pain, um, whatever kind of pain they're dealing with and all their different symptoms. And they just go on with their day because they have to go to work and they have to do this and and, and time passes by and they ignore this stuff to a point where then they can't ignore it anymore because now they've ended up in a doctor's office or they ended up in a hospital, right? So I want you to start being really more mindful about what you're doing with your body. And that really comes back to loving yourself, having self-respect, self-love and um, self-care. And, you know, I, my hashtag is hashtag self-care is self-care. So always incorporating that aspect and loving on yourself and taking care of your body.
0: So you said bloating after a meal is not normal, even though it probably is normal for most people, but you shouldn't have, but what you're saying is you shouldn't have lots of bloating after a meal, but what about gas? Like not necessarily bloating where it's stuck and all that stuff, but it's like, you just have gas throughout the day. What's your thought on gas? Because I've, I've interviewed yeah. some interesting scientists on this and I have an interesting perspective, but I want to know what you think about it.
1: Yeah. So gas, basically, this is a byproduct of how your microbiome is functioning and it's being influenced by the food you eat. Now, some people might have gas when they eat vegetables. Some people might have gas when they eat beans. Right. That just means that your microbiome doesn't have the ability to break down those nutrients the way it needs to. I mean, these are foods that I eat all the time, and I know other people who eat a lot of plants don't have a problem with gas, right? So, this is about understanding that your microbiome, in order for you to eat those foods, will need some time to adjust and change. In addition, To be able to break those down, you have to look at all your other organs that are responsible for breaking down food. So not just your microbiome. Are you missing a gallbladder, first of all? (laughs) Have you had surgery, right? So um, how is your bile production? How is your pancreatic elastase production? How is the acid in your stomach? So you want to look at all these different factors before you go, oh, okay, That I, I just eat beans, I have gas.
0: Yeah. Yeah, because I, you know, I've come to the conclusion that gas is actually, if you just have gas, like you pass gas throughout the day, I would say normally, like that's actually a healthy sign of a healthy um, gut. And the reason being, and I've I've interviewed um, a, a gut scientist with a hydrogen specialty uh, in his background on this particular topic. And one of the things that he brought to my attention and then I went and reviewed a lot of the science on it is how important hydrogen is to so many functions in the body. And the gas that we produce in our intestines is full of hydrogen. So it's our body's way of making hydrogen. And that hydrogen then gets sent to the cells where then those cells, I mean, it produce hydrogen is necessary for producing ATP at a cellular level in our bodies, which is essential for energy production, right? Essential for thousands of different uh, mechanisms of action within the body. And so, you know, one of the things he said, he's like, look, if you're farting, like that's a good thing. It means you're actually having a healthy, you know, digestive system. Your body's producing hydrogen like it needs to, to keep the cells alive and functioning and producing ATP. Um, So it changed my perspective about gas, where it was like, oh, maybe I shouldn't be farting or it's bad. It's like, well, actually... From that perspective, it's it's a healthy thing to do. I don't know what do you think well, about that
1: you, you you didn't mention if the the gas had a smell to it, like a sulfur-based smell or anything like that, right? So are yeah. we just talking about gas with or without a, a actual uh, scent to it? Interesting odor?
0: question. so um, in my so we're getting really personal here now. <laughs> <laughs> in my personal case. Majority of my gas does not smell, and that's a yeah. fact. Now that didn't used to be the case, but yes. major—I would say eighty to ninety percent of it does. They may be loud, <laughs> my kids may laugh about it, but they don't smell. And I and I've said it a hundred times, and they agree. Once in a while, and oftentimes it's like you know, and and I kind of know where it came from. It was like, Oh, I ate that thing that didn't really sit well in my stomach for some reason. It was something weird or a weird combination, or maybe it was old or something right where it's like, it it smells for, you know, maybe 10 or 15 minutes while, you know, fart a few times and then it's gone. It's like my body processed it, but I'd say 80 or 90% of the gas that I do pass doesn't smell at all. Like nobody could smell it.
1: Okay, so 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 I do believe there there's a difference there between whether it's just the body's process of making the gas in order to break down the food versus it's mal making it. And mo- most people think when you have gas, it's it's more of like a smelly gas, right? So I that's where I would be more concerned that oh, we need to look at what's going on in your digestion
0: when it smell um, if it's if it's smelling. Yes. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. Let's say you're farting all the time and it smells terrible all the time. That's Nobody probably... talks
1: about good gas. Nobody right. talks about good or non-smelly gas. So I thought you were asking me about,
0: you know. Well, that's why. I mean, I haven't had this conversation with very many people. So I'm like, hey, let's, let's talk about it. Cause I'm interested in, you know, <laughs> let's talk about farts for a little bit. <laughs> um, because yeah, I, for like, again, for me personally, as an athlete who burns 5,000 calories a day, I have to eat so much food, otherwise I lose weight. And on a plant-based diet, that can be challenging. It can be challenging to keep up with the demands, the caloric demands of my body, of of my athletic goals and and what I'm working towards. And if you can imagine trying to eat 5,000 calories a day on a whole food plant-based diet, I mean the amount of fiber, but the amount of mixing of foods you have to do and the amount of, you know, it's like, you know, huge plates of food and things like that. It can be challenging. The last few weeks, I've been like just taking a break, like not eating as much. I dropped seven pounds in two weeks, and I spent three months building up that extra body weight intentionally, and then boom! I just don't eat like one meal a day, and in in two weeks, it's like boom, seven pounds gone. For some people, it'd be like, oh my god, I wish I had that. For me, I'm like, no, I want that seven pounds. But it's a because good of
1: to have for some.
0: Yeah. So, you know, like my case and, 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 you know, this new brand I've started plant powered athletes. So it's a whole audience of people who want to achieve higher athletic potential as athletes, uh, but doing it in a healthy way with a plant based approach, um, you know, they're going to have similar issues versus my main audience and your main audience, you know, that I've been working with for over a decade and you for decades is primarily people dealing with chronic health conditions already, cancer, diabetes, et cetera, or, you know, in the later years of life and experience a lot of fatigue and symptoms and problems. It's a, that's a different concern and issue altogether, but it's still interesting to look at opposite sides of that spectrum. Right. Um, yeah. where I actually, are- um,
1: mm-hmm. I ahead. had, um, locally a cooking class, um, at one of the, the cooking studios here where we did, cooking classes specifically for athletes for high protein plant-based meals
0: Mm. so they
1: could learn how to incorporate plant-based protein into their different meals and to get enough specifically for athletes right yeah yeah. Um, so so that's where once again it, it comes around like use your kitchen as your lab right experiment with what's going to work for you and what your end goals are maybe you we have a spectrum of people whose goals are to not deal with chronic disease. And then maybe we have the individuals who are looking to more advance their health. Maybe we are the people who are right in the middle who are like, I just want to live longer and live my best life. And not have so much
0: smelly gas. Yes. (laughs) Live longer and not have so much smelly gas. Yeah.
1: (laughs) A place for everyone to, to eat more plants. There's really a place for that.
0: Speaking of, I just did a video this morning about. Uh, do you know Novak or do you know of Novak Djokovic? Like, arguably, like the number one tennis player right now. Probably, arguably one of the best. I don't think players you realize
1: time. what a big tennis fan I am. I used really? to play at the USTA. I oh, am no a way. huge tennis fan. Federer, of course, is my favorite, but I would love to hear what, what your, your conversation about Novak. Um, he's maybe like my third favorite. but
0: <laughs> Yeah. So I said arguably best player in, in history, right? Depends who you talk to. Anyway, top of his game, one of the best athletes in the world. 2010, he was having um, asthma, uh, health issues, energy issues, and he wasn't doing that. still a pro player, but not doing that great. Met with a doctor. Doctor put him on a primarily plant-based diet. They did some emotional healing as well. Um, he doesn't talk as much about the emotional part. He talks mostly about the diet. But at first, he got out dairy, gluten. So, got out all the milk and cheese. Got out all the wheat and the gluten. Um, and processed sugar. all the things we've been talking about. Started feeling better. And then got all the red meat out. And basically went to primarily plant-based, or like I, I would call plant-powered diet as an athlete. And the rest is history from over the next 13 years has become, you know, one of one of the most dominant players in tennis. And he gives a lot of the, um, credit to his improved health and performance to the plant-based diet that he's been on. Point being, here's an athlete who one is dominating and, and achieving peak health potential. um, into his late thirties on a plant-based diet. But he primarily does like a lot, he does a lot of fruits, he does a lot of vegetables, he does a lot of salads. Uh, He does warm lemon water first thing in the morning, which we know is amazing for digestion, getting digestive juices going first thing in the morning. Um, He does smoothies and he does a lot of like sweet potato and wild rice and quinoa and things like that. And, um, talking about athletes, there's a lot of them, but here's one I was literally researching and doing a video on today who, Mm -hmm. you know, has been on, it wasn't like two years ago. It's been like 13 years now, I think. Yeah. Pretty amazing.
1: No, I, I I recall when that information came out and and he shared about his diet and stuff. And I'm like, join the, the enlightened, right? Because once you you can see the difference in how your body can function and and i think when when people are going towards more plant-based they get confused and lost because they don't feel good right away or instead of really going whole foods they've incorporated these processed cheeses processed uh burgers which aren't really plants and then going oh being plant-based or being vegan is not good my body didn't like it i I felt very tired and fatigued and my iron levels dropped and all this stuff. Really working with somebody who understands plant-based nutrition and tests your blood to see what does your body need, understands more about what your goals are and is really looking at your whole picture. Because the last thing we need is for somebody to develop an eating disorder around like meat versus plants, right? Because we don't wanna create eating disorders out of um, trying to help people. And really just looking at the full picture, looking at your genetics, right? So some people can't um, um, metabolize certain nutrients. So they might need more emphasis on certain foods. For example, vitamin D. Vitamin D is one that my body does not metabolize as efficiently. So even if I'm out in the sun, All the time, I mean, we live in Florida, right? My body doesn't have the ability to make as much vitamin D as it should, right? So I'm making sure that I'm getting vitamin D rich foods. I'm also making sure I'm supplementing to get to the level I want to, right? So really looking at that personalized approach, looking at your genes, looking at your lifestyle, looking at your environment and looking at what do you wanna accomplish? So for a plant powered athlete, Right, so you're looking at your 5,000 calories in a day. I, I, I'm going to give you a new challenge then. I want you to look at how balanced that is with other plant-powered athletes, right? Because this is this is a great thing to look at as somebody else who's six foot tall like you. What what are they consuming, right? Because as professional athletes, more than likely they're not preparing their own meals. They they have somebody that's very curating. What's breakfast, lunch, dinner, snacks? I mean, you, you see it with Nadal on the court. He's got his, his different drinks lined up and he has the different things in between sets that he's always taking down. This is what an athlete does, right? And so if, if you're entering in this journey and now, you know, we went from chronic diseases to talking about athletes, working with the people who understand everything you need is going to be your, your key to getting you where you want to go.
0: Mm. Yeah. That's a good point. A lot. I think some of the things I still need to fine tune. I mean, I've been doing, I've been, you know, an athlete most of my life, but plant, plant plant-based since 2010. So 13 years we're recording this and a a really serious athlete for the last six years. So since 2017 and some of the, you know, and I've learned a lot, like most of the plant-based diet I was Familiar with was more longevity, disease prevention, health in general, versus a, you know, building for my sport for CrossFit, like you have to have a certain amount of mass body mass certain amount of muscles certain amount of ability to move heavy objects through space at fast distances. And you have to have a high metabolic capacity, you have to have very high ability with cardiovascular potential to run a 5 minute mile and lift 500 pounds at the same time. Like that's what this sport is. It's like about can you create yourself as a superhuman being? And to me that's interesting. It's like that's really cool. If I could do that naturally, do it, you know, on a plant-based diet and um and learn all these really cool fun things in the process, gymnastics and cycling and swimming and weightlifting and all the other creative fun stuff we get to do, walk on our hands and, you know, swim open water and do all kinds of stuff. So like, to me, that's really fascinating. And at the same time, the approach for, you know, building muscle and size and strength and recovery is still similar to what I found with longevity and disease prevention, but it's also different. Like I wouldn't advise one of our cancer patients or anyone in our cancer coaching program that we have any of the cancer clients that we have like i wouldn't put them on the exact same diet that i'm on <laughs> it would not make sense for someone with cancer but the principles are the same right the, the whole foods are the organic same. the plant-based the yeah. you know but even so there's going to be some some differences no
1: no no there's they're significantly different okay so principles are the same stick with whole foods plant-based as much as possible, right? But when we're thinking of a athlete, we're thinking of, all right, they're doing this much physical activity in the day, right? So they are burning through fuel, they're sweating, they um, need different types of electrolytes, they need pre-workout nutrients, they need post-workout nutrients, because when you're working out, what is your body doing? The muscle is breaking and rebuilding, breaking and rebuilding, right? So that is a very... Um, traumatic process on the body if you are not also taking into consideration recovery. And recovery comes both from your nutrients, but it also comes from all the other things you're doing in your life, right? So infrared saunas, great for recovery. Sleep, great for recovery, right? Myofascial release, great for recovery. So we're thinking about all these different aspects when we're taking a personalized approach. Now, somebody who's dealing with cancer, Possibly does not have the best diet in the sense that they don't even have an appetite because they might be going through treatments, right? So, trying to get nutrients into them is going to be a hundred percent different approach, right? Because uh, one, you're tired, you're fatigued, you, you're fatigued from your treatments, right? So, the last thing you want to do is go in the kitchen and try and make a healthy meal. So their entire menu becomes something simplified that they can do that is not going to expend more energy and instead give them the energy they need from the food, right? So everybody is personalized wherever they are in their whole health journey. But at the end of the day, I will always say eat more plants.
0: Yeah, especially when you're trying to gain weight like this guy on a plant-based diet. I got to eat more plants every day. (laughs) Thanks for reminding me. (laughs) Um, cool. What, uh, this, the time has flown by what's already, um, already almost time to wrap up. So do you have a cookbook for people that people can buy? I do.
1: I I do. I have a free cookbook on my website, um, drbonote.com that they can download and it's 20 plant-based gluten-free recipes from anything from, um, lunches and dinners to even snacks that you can make. My popular gut friendly chocolate chip cookie recipe is one of the most made and downloadable, uh, recipes. So mm-hmm. I recommend you get that. Yeah. Everybody needs a good chocolate chip cookie, but maybe a gut friendly one and a gut brain friendly one would be a better way to do it.
0: And that's, doctorbenote.com drbhanot um and people can download that where where do they download it
1: Yeah so so that's as soon as you get to my website it will be your pop up on my website so you gotcha. can do that I also have available um, if you want to learn how your body works more you can get my best selling book the anatomy of well-being and that is also on my website but you can find it at Amazon and if you are not ready to read all the, it's a thick one.
0: <laughs> it's a good, it's a good <laughs> but, book. I have, I, I have it. I recommend people get it. Seriously. It's a, it's a good yeah. book. It's very in depth, um, covers a lot of it, ground it, diet, nutrition, lifestyle, functional approach. It, I highly recommend It covers everything. Yeah. I highly recommend every single page it.
1: in there covers, it, it covers a lot. And, um, it's not one of those books you're going to want to look on Kindle because it's literally one of the ones you're going to want to highlight based off of where you are in your health journey. So having the paper version of that is going to be really helpful. And the audio book will be coming out later this year. So you can listen and and walk and listen with me at the same time to uh, kind of um, get another, another dose of it.
0: That's awesome. Sweet. Well, Monisha, thank you for taking the time. Um covered a lot of different things and uh i feel like the time just flew by and i still have like 20 other things i want to talk to you about so we'll have to do this again in the future
1: we'll do it again we'll do it in person you'll make me some tofu curry i'll bring you a salad Um, i think that sounds like a plan
0: (laughs) that's awesome all right well thanks so much take care everybody
1: thank you for listening to the nathan crane podcast please make sure to subscribe and share this on social media Then, head over to NathanCrane.com
0: for your free eBook. So when we're talking about, you know, what are these underlying causes and conditions of these chronic diseases, cancer, diabetes, heart disease, they all have very similar if not identical causes. And that's the thing is when we get to the root cause of these diseases, we can not only prevent these diseases from ever happening but empower our bodies to heal from them. In every one of our cells, we have tens and hundreds of thousands of chemical reactions that are happening every second that are cycling uh, back and forth. It's like sort of a a yin and yang.
1: And, you know, for me, the soul, the soul's purpose is evolution. It doesn't care about comfort. It cares about evolution. Mm. And so I think so long as we are following our soul, then we will evolve. And I think what sometimes blocks us from living our purpose, from manifesting that next level of our expression is we have not evolved.
0: There is also time for letting go all the expectations and relax and just breathe and be grateful for what you have achieved.